Welcome to Infinite Insights, the podcast designed for all TK-12 math teachers. I am Maggie Peters, math consulting teacher for the Rincon Valley School District here in Northern California. I'm Dwayne Habecker, math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education. Every other week, Dwayne and I will share a new math research study or article or some other mathy thing. We'll talk it over, bounce ideas off of each other, and think about how to implement it in the classroom. So, Rocket. how you doing, Dwayne? I'm doing great. <laughs> Still living in boxes, but things are good. Oh, that's things good. Are good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Today was a heck of a week, but uh, you know, I'm I've finished like three big projects, so that makes me feel really good. All right. Yes. Of course, you're you're revealing some of the magic behind the curtain because you're saying it's been a tough week, but we're going to release this on a Monday. Oh. Yeah. The the, the Oz has been exposed <laughs> <laughs> behind the curtains. <laughs> okay. Before it gets any worse, <laughs> uh, Maggie, what are we talking about today? Um, it's, I think it's time to rethink the assumption that good teachers don't use prepackaged curriculum, um, and their materials. Um, what the heck does that mean? Um, it's basically an article, um, that was in ACSD, uh, publication. Did I say that right? I always get them mixed up. I think you did. Or is it ASC? No, no, it's ASCD. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I always say it opposite. Um, and it's yeah. called How to Partner with Your Curriculum by Janine yeah, Ramilliard. I think this is the second French name in a row. It is. Maybe next, next time we should go with an article with the person we can pronounce their <laughs> last name. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Anyway. All right. So basically this article starts off by painting a picture of a teacher who who was labeled a progressive teacher, um, always seeking out innovative and appropriate resources for teaching and, um, you know, really got to the heart of what her, her students needed to learn mm -hmm. um, and hardly ever touched a textbook. Got it. Mm -hmm. Been there, done that, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, and... From this person or from this woman's um, perspective, the new curriculum didn't offer anything novel or distinct from what she had been doing, um, and so she just kind of kept going with how she felt um, was the best way to teach the math in in this particular story. And um, sure. she brought in mealworms and budding branches and that kind of stuff. Sure, I could totally relate because. Oh gosh, I started teaching in 1989 and and I remember it was like an Addison Wesley textbook. So no offense to any Addison Wesley lovers out there, but the book was crud and it was a horrible textbook. It was just this classic formulaic thin approach to t teaching, you know, it just essentially told kids, uh, you know, use that classic two-page spread on the left side, the kids we're supposed to read and look at how to do it. And then on the right hand side, the right page, they're supposed to just do it. It was really horrendous. So I totally relate to that teacher about, you know, staying away from textbooks because they were stinky. And I know in my credential program, um, it was kind of frowned upon to use the workbooks and the textbooks because they, you know, textbooks 
did go through a time where they cut stories in half to fit them in their books and, you know, watered it down so severely that it kids weren't reading. They were just kind of regurgitating. Mm-hmm. And they yep. weren't even regurgitating things that, you know, uh, from a whole story because the story was cut so severely. So, yeah. Now, you know what this is called, right? This idea of the teachers eschewing textbooks. It's called the good teacher doctrine. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially where um, this, this, I don't know, let's call it a myth that good teachers don't rely on textbooks and instead they design their own lessons. And this has been around for, truly, it's been around for decades. This, this I don't know, this good teacher doctrine. Right. And I think too, and the article says this as well, is that many districts with the the introduction of Common Core, they've been encouraged to develop their own lessons because there hasn't been anything um, really, truly Common Core put out there um, until recently. That's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have these new standards. So the teachers are supposed to teach to these new standards, but we're kind of saddled with this history of yucky textbooks. So we're kind of entering this common core season with a a schema that we can't rely on the textbooks to help us because they stink. And uh, so that's why we kind of were, I don't know, I guess force fed this continued belief of this good teacher doctrine. And, you know, to be honest, it has its appeal, right? Right. Um, because the good teacher doctrine says, hey, the teacher is awesome. The teacher is better than the book. That's because we are. And no. <laughs> because we, you know, I think we're going to learn. We're a partnership, right? We're going to be a partnership with our textbook. I just want to throw it in there, Dwayne. Come on. I know. It, <laughs> Well, it makes sense, but we are the pros, right? We are the pros. We do have the expertise, but that good teacher doctrine kind of elevates us to our detriment because, um, you know, the truth is curriculum programs might be useful to new teachers Mm -hmm. who come into the classroom never having taught before. So they have no schema for what is... um, good teaching, math teaching in the classroom. And we know how um, isolating school teaching, you know, being a teacher is. So an inexperienced teacher comes in, she or he is probably not going to get the super awesome support needed to immediately kind of implement this good teacher doctrine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so anyway... Um, But I have to say that there is a downside to that good teacher doctrine as well. Bring it on. Um, It promotes an image of teachers working by themselves to form their own curriculum resources, um, you know, and it basically, like, promotes that teachers work without a net, without a group of teachers to kind of go on or a group of people. It's all by themselves to make this curriculum, you know, this curriculum fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, if the teacher is doing all the creating of the curriculum and bringing in all the branches and the manipulatives and essentially doing all the work that kind of makes this curriculum dispensable. Right. You know, and Oh, in fact, I got it. I own it. I 
would brag to my students, uh, especially during the Williams Act, for people who are not from California, you don't know what the Williams Act is, but it essentially says, the California law that says, all students have to have a math book and PDFs and online resources count. Or but textbooks in general. Yeah, and um, but I would brag in August, here students, here's your book, I've satisfied the law, take it home, leave it there, and you're never going to open it until June. And I would kind of flaunt this, my own version of the good teacher doctrine. And um, I don't know, I, I think I kind of <laughs> regret 20 years of arrogance that I, I displayed. I think there's a line in this article um, that really gets me. And it says, by placing a spotlight on single teachers, rewarding individual ingenuity and flair, it defects it deflects conversation about the work of teaching and discourages genuine genuine collaboration among colleagues. Yeah. yeah. And that like stands out and it, to me in that yeah, we're rewarding the really fun teachers, but it may not be the highest quality of education that we could be really giving the kids. Yeah, or even if it's the most awesome quality, right? The, the we've we've all worked with the teachers who um, are reluctant to share their work with others. Yeah. It's like, hey, I worked really hard creating this lesson. You go create your own. And, you, you know, there are people like that. In fact, I think sometimes I've been like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that good teacher doctrine really has um, kind of impacted us in a, in a long-term negative way. So I'm going to suggest that we might challenge this good teacher doctrine a little bit. And so this may be stretching some people here because uh, I don't want to ba- seem like I'm bashing on anybody. And that's the risk that we're going to have of this, you know, when we talk about this article is our, I don't want to come across as bashing anybody, the, the textbook users or the non-textbook users, because really what I want to try and do is reframe this teacher textbook relationship and, and re- reframe it as a partnership between the two. We need both to really operate on all cylinders. Right. And that's what this, that's why we both fell in love with this article, because it really does shed light on the fact that both textbooks and teachers have something to offer. And you put those together and you've got, you could potentially have a great, correct, you know, a great thing in front of you. Yeah. Uh, now, as we move into this partnering phase of our episode. Um, You know, we're primed. This is a really good time for us to consider bringing back that curriculum, that textbook or whatever. It's a PDF or an online experience, but that curriculum as a partnership with the teacher because, you know, as we shifted to Common Core, um, uh, I think it was Student Achievement Partners wrote a publisher's criteria document. And so don't quote me on the student achievement partners, but a publisher's criteria document was established for the publishers. And it was essentially saying, all right, people, if you want to write a book that gets the true Common Core gold seal of approval, here is the criteria. And, uh, you know, I think this is this maybe is the first time in uh, the history of public education in mathematics in this country, where publishers were given a list, a clearly defined checklist of 
how to write a book that really attends to the shifts that they were trying to push in Common Core. So this is a really good time for us to start bringing in the option mm -hmm. of using a curriculum as partnership. And I think it's also important to note that because of these criteria that has been asked of these publishers, we, you know, and I'm sure it's always been, but we do have a divide now in, in terms of really good curriculum and curriculum that is really old school with a common core title. Yeah, Common Core Light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if even that, really. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, I have a word problem. I've totally mastered Common Core standards. <laughs> right, right. Or in the margin, it says SMP number three. Yeah. So therefore, it's Common Core. Yeah, you're right. My kids talk I mean, to each other about the answer. <laughs> yeah, right. So the idea, I, I mean, what I worked with some districts and we used the um, Instructional Materials Evaluation Toolkit, uh, which is also from uh, Student Achievement Partners. I, so I'm not meaning to turn this into a commercial for SAP, but that uh, Instructional Materials Evaluation Toolkit allowed us to really determine when we were considering a particular curriculum, which side of that divide that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. the, good versus stinky divide, which side of that divide is this particular um, curriculum? Because that uh, I, instructional materials toolkit, I, evaluation toolkit, yeah, I think we'll it's put that on the, the uh, blog, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll put it on there on the list because it, it, it was brilliant at s sorting the wheat from the chaff. It was really, yeah. really a good document. Basically, I, if I remember correctly, it, it talks about like how well-designed programs are based on research findings and they undergo rounds of field testing and revision to make sure that they actually work with students um, yeah. and they work in teams, which usually include teachers and instructional designers um, looking at the big picture, that kind of stuff, correct? Right, right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and the, the toolkit, the evaluation toolkit also allows um, districts that are in the process of adopting curriculum to, to um, s differentiate between a curriculum that is really common core light versus something that is really common core okay. at its fullest. And so we're talking things like uh, uh, the major standards versus the additional and supporting standards. Does this textbook uh, have the proper percentage of the days devoted to the major standards versus oh. additional and supporting? So it really means that when you are using the curriculum, you kind of know that the content is in there at the right proportion. Um, uh, that if it's a major standard, you know you're going to be seeing that a lot in your textbook. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and it, it, it attends to other things, but it's a super powerful way to evaluate curriculum if you're in the process of adopting. Mm. Yeah. So, so the idea is good curriculum. And I think we're going to move into our strategies maybe, but the good curriculum, uh, let's see, it, it causes it asks, let's say, teachers to make those adaptive decisions. So good curriculum does not try to be all-encompassing everything where it almost makes the teacher extraneous, right? Good curriculum um, makes the teachers a partner 
and asks the teachers to be making adaptive decision as they teach. And, and that's really what you're looking for. And that kind of is going to be leading us to um, the strategies. Right. Do you have anything you want to say before we go into the strategies? I do. I think that, I, 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 I don't know. It's important to understand that, you know, curriculum is written with all of these ideas and people involved and t- field testing, but ultimately the teacher working with her, his or her students ultimately know their students best. And while they don't need to necessarily write a whole new curriculum to teach those standards, um, they do need to like like you were saying, make those adaptive decisions so that they can meet the needs of the students sitting in front of them. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, essentially we want to say teachers who believe that, that the best teachers are the ones who don't use textbooks and they feel guilty when they do. We want to say, you know, no, that's, we want to free you of that um, obligation of having to create your entire curriculum on your own. Mm-hmm. And we want to allow you to use that curriculum in partnership. And the problem is a lot of teachers have never been taught how to partner effectively with their curriculum. And so that's what how we're going to wrap up this episode, right, with our, our four little strategies. Right. And, and use these strategies and the curriculum as sort of a high-level map of the domain and learning pathways around it. So... I think Perfect. the first strategy, you know, is to look for those big ideas. What does that mean? Like, look for those ideas that the authors and the teachers who wrote it um, were intending um, to, you know, this, it's, sorry, it's tempting to focus on the steps of the lesson, but it's more important to find that big idea. What is it exactly that my students need to know before I am done with this lesson? Yeah. And so from an adapting point of view, if you have an idea of that horizon, that big picture, uh, when a student is struggling with lesson seven, because you have an idea of where we're going and that you have that big picture, you know that it is often when a student is struggling with lesson seven, the best thing to do is to move on to lesson eight because you have that big picture and you understand where we're going or you also understand whether this t- topic is a major topic or not so major. Right. right? Is it one Step of one, supporting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now number two is kind of related, which is pay attention to the pathways. And we're talking pathways within and across the lessons. Do you want me to say what that's, that, that is? <laughs> well, you were on a roll, so I was like listening. I was fascinated by where you were going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always on a roll. <laughs> I'm like, I'll keep talking. <laughs> well, if you want me to say a little bit about the pathways, it's basically, it should begin where students are and help them move where they should be. It's 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 your scaffolding. It is finding the rungs in the ladder if you, if you use Engage New York or anything like that. You want to help yeah. those students um, get to where they need to go. Yeah, exactly. And when you, oftentimes when you look at a book, uh, you could practice this thing, this t- uh, skill called Kyozai Kenkyu. It's a Japanese approach to reading the textbook and learning from the textbook. 
And when you read the textbook with the um, lens of Kyozai Kienkyu, uh, you're going to be able to see that sequencing of events, where the kids are, where they, they want to be, and you're going to get to appreciate it as a learner yourself, as a teacher, by reading the textbook. And in doing so, because you've paid attention to the pathways, you now can modify um, and adapt how you get to that ends, that finish line, because your kids are different. The textbook doesn't know your kids. Mm -hmm. You do. And so by paying attention to the pathways, um, you're going to be able to adapt and partner with that curriculum. What's the third one? Um, anticipating what will students say or what will happen if I teach it this way or where will the roadblocks be. Um, curriculum developers know that teachers play a critical role in steering students through this process of making meaning, but they can't plan for everything. That's when the teacher steps in and reads a lesson through and kind of says what you were just saying and like anticipates how your kids are going to need you to teach it to them. Um, you, you guess or you predict what, how they'll respond so you can consider what responses you can then come back with to help them learn. Right. And if you're not only are you anticipating successful responses, you might also be um, anticipating um, pressure points or uh, barriers. And, and so the idea is that curriculum is going to, by partnering with the curriculum, you can use that curriculum to, and um, well, after you've anticipated student responses and student struggles, then you can use that curriculum as your partner for how to get through it, mm -hmm. what to do next. You it's, know? To me, it's screaming UDL right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What can you do um, to meet the needs of your students? Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is going to bring to mind, I think a future episode is going to have to be us talking about the five practices book. Uh, have you read that? I, five practices for orchestrating productive math discussions? I haven't, but uh, after today, I think I'll order it. <laughs> well, I haven't read it either. So we're going <laughs> to, but I think we should read it. I, I've, I've looked at the table of contents and one of the sections, one of the steps of those five practices is anticipate. And so this is really good. So kind of reminds me. And what's the last one? The last one is my favorite is collaborating with colleagues. I think yeah, of course. We do all have so many good ideas and we all look at things slightly different and being able to work together to identify all of these things within our curriculums can only make our teaching stronger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and bringing it all back around to the um, the good teacher doctrine, which kind of uh, uh, isolated teachers and made the teacher um, kind of like a, a solo act mm -hmm. in a performance. Um, this fourth step is this strategy is the exact opposite of the good teacher doctrine, which is, hey, we're better together. Hashtag better together. I think that's why and podcasts are so popular. I think that's why blogs and MTBOS is, you know, or yeah. Twitter um, is so because people need that arena to collaborate and, you know, talk about the ideas and yeah. get our minds and, going. And the curriculum creates that common schema yes. for us to then have conversations. It's that roadmap that we, to help us, you know, stick exactly. to a pathway. It gives us stuff to talk about. Yeah. So 
the curriculum is not using the curriculum is not the sign of a lazy teacher we can partner with the curriculum in a really healthy way that might even increase collaboration with our colleagues and so, let's be like real it. Duane. we're really busy educators or educators are really really busy and if we can trust the curriculum that we're working with it takes a little bit off of our plates so that we can focus on other things Absolutely. So, okay, I think it's time to wrap up this edition of Infinite Insights. So, Maggie, what are your closing thoughts? Okay, so I'm totally stealing from the article because I love how they sum it up. It basically says, curriculum materials cannot replace teachers or quality teaching. Teachers have the power to bring a text to life, to make it engaging and relevant for the students whom they know so well. Equally true, like the musical score used by a conductor, curriculum materials provide a strong foundation from which to draw. Good teaching involves discerning the, that foundation and building on it with students. I love it. Nice. I love it. Like music. Well said. <laughs> or well read. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, nice. article, for giving that to me. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I love the musical score used by a conductor. Yes. They look at it, they refer to it, it's their roadmap, but ultimately they're the ones who are, you know, making the speed happen or the, the crescendos and putting that flair onto the sound that comes from. That's true. We don't consider the conductor lazy because he or she didn't write the music. Exactly. Uh, so let, let us think of teachers as conductors and, and partnering with that curriculum. Uh, just like a conductor. I like that. So let's wrap this up. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button, folks, if you haven't already done so. And send us a shout out on Twitter at, at dhawbecker or at PeleLover1. And I got to throw in this other one. Uh, these podcasts are also on our website at theothermath.com. So go to theothermath.com and you can get all of our episodes and blogs and all that sort of junk. All right. As usual, have a great week, everyone. And we will see you every other Monday here at Infinite Insights. Take care.